in your Bibles, if you would turn this morning to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter number 2. The prophet Malachi ministered to God's people, Israel, in the days after the Babylonian exile. Some time had passed since the people of Israel had returned to Jerusalem and Judah after they had been released from captivity in Babylon. When they got back to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls. Ezra and Nehemiah, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah were very instrumental in bringing about a lot of that success in restoring the temple and, and the city life there in Jerusalem and in Judah. A little bit of time has passed since then, and it appears that by the time Malachi is preaching and doing his ministry, that some cynicism has crept in to the people of Israel. We see from Malachi's challenges to them that their worship, their service of God, seems to have become more mechanical rather than heartfelt. So they were coming to God with less than their very best. In fact, they were coming with their leftovers. They were coming to offer sacrifices with maimed sheep, uh, lame animals. They were not bringing their very best to God. They were not obeying God's word. To them, it was all, it all seemed to be perfunctory. It was just, you know, routine. It was mechanistic. And there was no true heart worship of God. There was no honor of God in their hearts. And in our passage this morning in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, this is really like the second half of Malachi's direct challenge to the priests of Israel. In the end of chapter 1, he challenged the priests because they were accepting and offering blemished sacrifices on the altar to God. And Malachi said, that's, that's false worship. That is worthless worship before God. And it shows a contempt, a disrespect for the name of God. He's going to continue that challenge to the priests in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And specifically now, he turns from the, the emphasis on the sacrificial system, and now he turns to their teaching and their preaching and the example that they were setting with their lives. And so Malachi is challenging the priests of Israel to faithfulness in both their words and the words that they would proclaim for God, as well as their works in their deeds and the example that they would set before the people. And so Malachi challenges them, beginning in verse 1, and he says, And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. 
He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come and we gather around your word this morning. And with our eyes open, our ears open, and our hearts receptive, we desire to hear and receive your truth. Father, I pray that we would take this message that was written so long ago, written to a culture very different from ours, uh, written to your people uh, still living under the old covenant, the Sinai covenant. Help us to take this message and then apply it to our hearts today and to see how we as your people need to heed this warning of Malachi's. May your spirit help us as we receive and apply this message. In the name of Christ, amen. As we walk through this passage, and as we think about the best way to apply this message, I think one application of this passage is very obvious. It's, it's right there on, on the surface. And that application has to do with the leaders, the spiritual leaders that God has placed over his people. And so, in some sense, this morning, I'm preaching to myself. Because the most, probably the most direct application of the priests of Israel in their role of teaching and shepherding God's people is to pastors and teachers today in the church. And so, on one level, I'm preaching to myself. And so you're wondering, okay, so why am I here? Well, I'm preaching to you as well in a couple of ways. One, you need to know what God's word says to hold me accountable. So if I go the way of these priests of Israel and I start teaching the wrong words of God and I start living ways that are contrary to the word of God, it's on you to hold me accountable. False teaching has crept into many churches and many denominations that false teaching comes from all kinds of different uh, places. Sometimes they learn it in seminary, unfortunately. In, in more liberal denominations, they go to seminary and the, their professors tell them the word of God is not really the word of God. These are just the teachings of men and, and you can just use it as advice, as ancient counsel, but you can do with it as you please. Some liberal seminaries teach that. And so they arrive in churches and they teach people that and they begin to... Uh, teach that kind of a message, and they undercut the authority of the Word of God, and the people don't hold them accountable. And that, that false teaching takes root in those churches and those denominations, and it spreads. Sometimes false teaching comes in unawares, but it's on, it's, it's, it's on the God's people. They have a responsibility to be like the Bereans, right? When Paul showed up and he was teaching the Bereans, the, the scriptures say that the Bereans took what Paul said 
And they went home and they opened up the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. So they compared Paul's message to the written word of God to make sure that Paul was saying what was right. So you need to do that for me. And I'm telling you right now that if I start preaching heresy from this pulpit, you need to fire me. You need to get rid of me. Because this church, the church of God, the word of God, is more important than any one person or any one position. If I start living a life for which Malachi criticizes the Levites and the priests here for their wicked lifestyle, you need to fire me. Because it's on spiritual leadership to teach the truth and to the best of their ability to live a life that is consistent with the truth. Don't hold me to perfection because I will fail you. But hold me to the standard that the Bible sets up for spiritual leadership. And if I fall, seek to restore me. And if I can't be restored, then get rid of me. And hire someone who will teach the word of God faithfully. So there is some of this message that is directly to me and on you to hold me accountable. But I think there's also a direct application to the people of God because there's a sense in which all of us are now priests, aren't we? So when we think of this from an Old Testament perspective, the Levites were set apart unto God as a special tribe out of the 12 tribes. And the Levites were the ones that that God said, you're going to be my ministers in the tabernacle, in the temple. The Levites were the ones who were given the responsibility of carrying the tabernacle from place to place and from carrying the holy vessels from place to place. Out of the Levites, God specifically chose the family of Aaron to be the priests of Israel and for one of Aaron's descendants to always be the high priest within Israel. But now that we have come to the new covenant, we no longer have a need for this kind of a priesthood. This kind of a priesthood where a man, a sinful man, a fallen man, stands as a mediator between God and the people. Because that's what these priests did. They were mediators between God and the people. They offered sacrifices on behalf of the people to God to bring these people into relationship with God through atoning sacrifice. They also mediated God's word to the people and delivered God's messages to them. And their responsibility was to teach the law of God. As we saw in 2 Chronicles 17, we saw a good example of how the Levites fulfilled that responsibility. Under the leadership of King Jehoshaphat, he, re- he installed many reforms when he became king. And he, he, he brought Judah back into conformity with the law of God and sought to walk in the ways of David. And one of the things that he did is he called Levites and priests and he commissioned them to go from town to town within Judah and to teach the word of God. To teach it rightly because for a period of time during the reigns of wicked kings, the people forgot about the word of God. They didn't know what the word of God taught. And so the Levites and the priests went around and taught the people the word of God. That's the role of an Old Testament priest, to mediate between God and the people. But we don't have a need for a priesthood like that because we have one great high priest now, don't we? 
we have one great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says that he has finished his work. He has entered the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in heaven. He has offered once for all the atoning blood of sacrifice that covers our sins. And now he has finished his work and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is now our mediator. Jesus is our intercessor. And now we are all, as believers, called to be priests to the world. All of us, as believers, are called to be priests to the world. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you, talking to Christians, talking to the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of us are now a priesthood. And we are all now ambassadors of God to the world. And we all have a responsibility to be faithful to the word in both words and works. And so I want us to take this as an application, not only to spiritual leaders, pastors, those in positions of church leadership, but also to all of us, that we would all see our responsibility to walk in faithfulness before the Lord. And so what does this passage teach us? First of all, this passage teaches us that the Lord has established a covenant of life and peace with his people. The Lord has established a covenant of life and peace with his people. In verse number five, Malachi says, from from the Lord to the priests, he says, my covenant was with him, that is Levi. God made a covenant with Levi. Verse five says, a covenant of life and of peace. And I gave them to him, gave life and peace. Gave these blessings, these responsibilities to Levi. What is this referring to? This covenant that Malachi is referring to was a specific covenant. It is the the promise, the agreement, if you will, that God made with the family of Levi. That Levi would be the representatives of God to all of the tribes of Israel and specifically the priests within Levi, that they would be God's mediators to all of the tribes of Israel. So God chose Levi for that specific purpose and entered into a covenant with the tribe of Levi and with the family of Aaron to serve in this capacity before Israel. And God says that that covenant, that agreement with Levi, with the house of Aaron, it was for the purposes of life and of peace. Life and peace, not only life and peace to Levi, to his tribe and the priests, but also life and peace to all the people of God that the tribe of Levi and the priests of Levi would minister on behalf of God to the people. So life and peace was given to the people of God through this covenant with Levi. Life and peace. But what about now? Right now, in this current age, 
we are no longer bound by a covenant with Levi or a covenant with the house of Aaron because that covenant has reached its culmination point. That, that covenant with Levi, that covenant with the house of Aaron, that covenant has reached its culmination point because now Jesus Christ has come, not in the order of the family of Levi or the family of Aaron, but in the order of the family of Melchizedek, or after the model of Melchizedek, and Jesus Christ is now a priest forever, without beginning, without end, without sin, perfect, replacing, if you will, the priesthood of Aaron. So now we are under the priesthood of Christ after the example of Melchizedek from Genesis. We're no longer under the priesthood of Aaron and the house of Levi. So what is the covenant that we have with God? The covenant that we have with God is the covenant mediated through Jesus Christ, through his life, through his blood, through his sacrificial death on the cross, and through his resurrection and his right hand intercession for us before the Father. That is the covenant that we have with God. It's called the new covenant, and it is a covenant of life and of peace, isn't it? It is a covenant of life and of peace that those who relate to God through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, they are blessed with life. They are blessed with peace with God. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Now that we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the covenant that we have with God is a covenant of life and peace. The Lord has graciously established that covenant of life and peace with his people. What does that demand then? Malachi tells us in the second part of verse 5, God says, I established my covenant of life and peace with Levi. This called for reverence, and he revered me, and stood in awe of my name. So the gracious covenant of life and peace that God makes with his people, this gracious covenant demands that his people honor him in their worship. This gracious covenant demands that God's people honor him in their worship. And that was the focus of last week's message at the end of Malachi chapter 1. That when we worship God, that we would worship him with our very best. That we would honor his name, not detract from his name in the way that we worship him, in the way that we live our lives. God is worthy of our worship, isn't he? He is worthy of the very best that we can give. Not only because he is the God of the universe... And as the one and only God, the one creator over everything, he is worthy of worship. But he is also worthy of worship specifically from us as his people because he has graciously entered into a covenant of life and peace with us. And so that, that covenant calls for reverence and awe and honor from God's people. Thirdly, this passage teaches us that honoring the Lord demands faithfulness to his word. Honoring the Lord demands faithfulness to his word. This warning that Malachi has for the priests is specifically 
related around their function as teachers, as ministers of the word to Israel. And so we see in verse 6, where Malachi says, true instruction was in his mouth. That is Levi. True instruction was in his mouth. And nothing false was found on his lips. That is the ideal. That is how the priests, the Levites of God, that is how they should function. Speaking truth, speaking the true word of God to the people. That is how we as God's people should be to ourselves before God, faithful to his word and in faithfully relating that word to our families, to our neighbors, to our to the people in our community as we are ambassadors for God. We should be faithful to the word of God. Honoring the Lord demands faithfulness to his word. In verse number seven, Malachi says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. Because of the priest's role in Israel, he was a teacher and people listened to him. Therefore, it was a particularly solemn responsibility for him when he spoke the words of God because he was to be true to that calling. Because people listened to his words and he had an influence on the people. In the second part of verse number 8, he says, You have turned from the way and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble and you violated the covenant with Levi by your teaching. You have caused many to stumble. So there's an application to me clearly, right? That I need to teach the word of God faithfully. There's an application to any teacher of the word of God, whether it be a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, anyone who teaches the word of God to teach it faithfully. But there's also an application to every single one of us because really all of us should be striving to become teachers of the word. We may not all have a responsibility to teach the word to a whole congregation of people, but we have every one of us who are believers in Christ have a responsibility to teach the word to our families teach the word to our children. We have a responsibility to share faithfully and truthfully the word of God to our lost neighbors and friends. We should be seeking to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word so that we can become teachers of the word. What does the writer of Hebrews say to the, to the people that he's writing to in, in Hebrews? He says, I'm writing to you these basic things, these elementary principles, this, this milk. By now, you should have become teachers of the word. So the writer of Hebrews is challenging those Christians because they hadn't reached a level of maturity of understanding and of teaching the word that they should have in their growth in Christ. We should all be faithful teachers of the word in our spheres of influence, whether that be teaching the word to one person in our family, or teaching it to a hundred people in the church. We all have a responsibility to be faithful to the word of God. Fourthly, honoring the Lord demands faithfulness in our works. Honoring the Lord demands faithfulness in our works. 
Not only does Malachi challenge the priests with their teaching, he also challenges them with the conduct of their lives. And he says in verse 8, you have turned from the way. You have turned from the way. That, that implies a waywardness of life, doesn't it? Not only in terms of their teaching, that they were teaching the wrong things, but even with their lives, they had veered off the path and were not living faithfully. At the end of verse 8, it says that they had violated the covenant with Levi. In verse number 9, he says, I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but you have shown partiality in matters of the law. So there at the end of verse 9, he specifically calls them to account for the way that they were living and the decisions that they were making. They've not followed the Lord's ways and when they were called upon to exercise their responsibility as a judge in determining how something should go based on the law of God, they were not doing it rightfully, according to justice, according to the principles of the word, they were showing partiality. They were giving favor over, of one group over another. They were not being fair and being faithful to the word of God in their judgments. So he calls them to task, not only for their words of teaching, but also for their works. And by their example, they were causing many to stumble. And here's where Malachi brings his message home to the priests and to us. And that is that this passage teaches us finally that refusing to honor the Lord brings the Lord's chastening hand of judgment. Refusing to honor the Lord brings the Lord's chastening hand of judgment. So in this passage, Malachi reminds them, God's made a covenant with you. It's a covenant of life and peace. This covenant that God has made with you, it demands honor and reverence from you. It demands faithfulness to the word of God. It demands faithfulness in your works that you live before people's eyes. And he says, if you do not do that, if you do not honor the Lord, if you don't honor the covenant that he's made with you, his curse will fall on you. At the beginning of the passage, that's exactly what he says. He says, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, verse 2, if you do not resolve to honor my name, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. He says, I've already cursed your blessings because you have not resolved to honor me. In other words, this is very much consistent with the covenant that God made with his people at Sinai. And that covenant was this. If you faithfully follow the Lord and obey his word, his blessings will rain down on you. But if you do not obey the Lord, then those blessings will be turned into curses and hardships, and toil, and difficulty. And so in Malachi's day, they were experiencing the Lord's heavy hand instead of his light hand because they were failing to honor him. He says in verse 3, very strong words of humiliation and of judgment, 
I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. That sounds disgusting, right? That's the point. It's intended to be disgusting because that's what they deserved. In other words, Malachi is basically saying these festival sacrifices that you're bringing, these maimed, blind sacrifices that you're bringing to me, they're worth nothing. They're worth dung, literally. And so to dishonor you because you're dishonoring me, I'm going to smear that dung on your faces. Can you imagine anything more humiliating and uh, degrading than that? By a word picture, Malachi is saying, that's what you're doing to God. That's what you're doing to God when you treat lightly the worship of him by bringing that which is worthless into his presence. And so God is going to remove his hand of blessing and is going to treat them with the same dishonor and contempt that they are treating him. In other words, there are, there are repercussions, there are judgments. The Lord's chastening hand comes on his people when they refuse to honor him. At the end of the passage in verse 9, he says, I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways. Let me ask you, does the Lord still chasten his people under the new covenant? He does. The writer of Hebrews says he does. The writer of Hebrews says that the Lord loves the one that he disciplines. The Lord loves the one that he chastens. If you have a son or a daughter and they are walking down a path of destruction, of rebellion, of despising your teaching and the teaching of God, and you do nothing to discipline them or reprove them, the Bible says you're not showing love for them. I was reading this morning uh, a little uh, an example of someone who was talking about this very issue, and he was talking about how uh, an oncologist has to deliver bad news to people, but he does so for their ultimate good, Right? An oncologist sometimes has to deliver bad news. You have cancer. But it would be better for that oncologist to tell you the truth because then you can find a, hopefully find a solution to that and move toward healing. But if the oncologist doesn't tell you the truth, doesn't try to help you, he's not really showing love for you. He might give you that which is easy to hear, but in the end is going to be hurtful to you. It'd be better for him to give you something that is hard to hear, but in the end would be good for you. God, because he loves us, he chastens us. And sometimes he brings us through discipline. Sometimes he brings us through hardships because maybe our hearts aren't where they should be. And we're not honoring him the way that we should. And so in order to draw our attention back to him, to turn our eyes off of our idols and to turn our eyes back on him, sometimes he burns our idols. And whether that idol might be our health or our family or our possessions or whatever, sometimes God will 
rob us of that. And yes, that is hard. Yes, that is hurtful. But it's so that he will cause our eyes to be focused back on him instead of on the small G gods of this world. God disciplines his children because he loves them. Refusing to honor the Lord brings his chastening hand. So what is the lesson for us? God has loved us. Let us love him in return. God has shown us grace by giving us a covenant of life and peace. Let us honor him in return. And the way that we can honor God is through right worship, right words, and right works. Right worship, right words, and right works. And our God is worthy of that, isn't he? He has loved us. Let us love and honor him in return. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father God, we thank you for the challenging message of your prophet, your servant Malachi. Lord, help us to see that these words are not just for the Levitical priests of some 2,500 years ago, but that these words apply to us today. Lord, what a gracious thing you have given to us in the new covenant. Through our relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, we have hope, we have life, and we have peace. Lord, may we give to you the honor, the love, the worship that you deserve because of the grace that you have lavished on us. Lord, help us to worship you rightly in spirit and in truth. Help us to, in our words, to represent you faithfully and rightly. In the way that we live, in our works, help us to honor you and to shine a a bright light into this world that glorifies and honors you. Lord, bless us as your people. We desire your blessing, not your chastening hand. And so, Lord, may we walk faithfully in your ways and may your spirit help us to do that. And we thank you, Father, for your forgiving grace when we fail you because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.